you guys want to be turning in your Bibles, we're going to be back to the book of Nahum. I've got one more thing that I want to share with you real quick I forgot to bring up earlier. I actually prayed at this at the square a couple years ago, and then I missed it last year. I, I didn't hear anything about it. It's called a March for Jesus. There's a couple of flyers in the foyer. I'll take a picture of this or something, get it to Benjamin, and see if they can get it out on our social media so you have the rest of the information. Um, it, it starts at the amphitheater. If any of you guys have ever done this before, the March for Jesus, you probably know about it, parked somewhere. But it starts at the amphitheater, and it's a march up that right-hand side of downtown into the square, and you get together at the square. And they usually have some prayer and some things up there. Um, <coughs> it says, come to Sweetland Amphitheater, um, 8 a.m. on October 28th, March with other Christians that believe the United States of America needs Jesus Christ more now than in the history of our nation. Let others watch as we stand together and march in his name. Please plan to attend. It's got some contact phone numbers on here. Again, I'll get this posted I don't know if any of you know Dor Joe and Doris Allman, A-L-M-A-N day, but that's, that's the numbers that's there. But at any rate, I'll, I'll get that out for you. But it's Saturday, October 28th at 8 a.m. If any of you guys can be there and be a part this Saturday, if, it, if some of you can help, we've got a couple of hours uh, to work. We may not have anything left to do. Greg may have finished it all today. I don't know. I'll check the list after that work. But we were going to have a couple more hours to work down there to get things cleaned up, but I don't, I don't know. I run across Greg down there, and he was steady hard at it, and he was still hard at it when I left coming out from down there, so it may all be finished up. We'll just eat breakfast and watch college football or something. I don't know if the church votes yes. It'll be the last time we watch much of anything, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <coughs> um, so Nahum chapter 1, verse number 2, God is jealous. The Lord revenges. The Lord revenges and is furious. We looked briefly at that last week about God talking about E-L, God. God is jealous. And then the Lord, that is Jehovah. And three times it says that Jehovah revenges. This one said he is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Man, that would be something that the lost world really needs to know right there. There's a day of wrath coming. This isn't going to be a little slap on the wrist, a little spat on the backside. This is the wrath of God that awaits his enemy and his enemy is anyone who is against him. His enemy is anyone who takes the side of the devil against the side of, of, of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, verse number three, that the Lord is slow to anger. And then, boy, we better be thankful for that one. The Lord is slow to anger and in great power will not at all acquit the wicked. The, the Lord is slow to anger. He, he is great in patience. He is great in long suffering. He is great in second and third and 50th and 100 chances. Anybody say amen on Wednesday night? He is a very patient God. We saw that in the life of Jonah. We looked at God's servant, how God's servant said, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm not going to do your will. We saw God's patience, God's compassion, God's understanding, and how he dealt so tenderly with this servant who, who was so blatantly disobedient. But yet God showed him mercy, and we saw God's great mercy with Nineveh, a city filled with sin and wickedness, and the Assyrians were a 
brutal people, but yet God gave them a chance. And when they turned from their sin, God erased their sin and their iniquity and he forgave. He repented of, of what he was going to do when they turned and he turned away his wrath. So we've seen exactly what Nahum is saying. It's the same thing Jonah said. Jonah said, I knew thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest of evil. The prophets knew that God is a good God. The prophets knew of the goodness of God. They knew uh, about God's mercy. But, but we can learn something about why Jonah ran. The prophets also knew about the wrath of God. They knew about love, mercy, compassion, grace, long suffering. They knew that. But the prophets also knew about the wrath of God. And Jonah knew that if they didn't repent... They would have to deal with the wrath of God. And that's what Jonah wanted. The thing that he overlooked, the thing that he forgot that is crucial for all of us to remember is that God will not pour out wrath without first giving an opportunity. God does not just say, one time, you missed it, ball dropped, over said, done, wrath. God always gives us opportunities to turn from sin. God always gives us opportunities to straighten things out, to get things right. And that's, that's what Jonah forgot is that, that God wouldn't bring wrath without offering a chance for repentance. That's one of the things that's wrong with many of the views that the world is putting out there today. <laughs> you have people today that say, well, I just don't believe in hell. You will when you get there. I just don't believe there's a hell. That don't cool it off one degree. That won't help your suffering one bit. If you don't believe in hell, you might as well not believe in heaven. If you don't believe in heaven and hell, then you don't believe in any form of afterlife. You will. There are no atheists in hell. There may be some that claim to be here, but, but there, there's not any in hell. You have those today that say, well, I just don't believe if God is a loving God, I just don't believe he'd send anybody to hell. You're 100% right. He won't, but you'll send yourself. He has offered the plan. He's done everything. It's not his will that any should perish. He's done everything he can to keep you from going to hell. He's, pre he's, ha he's having Christians, disciples, preachers, people preach to the world right now. He's doing everything he can to keep you from going to hell if you're lost. But it's your choice. So God's not going to send you to hell. You'll have to choose it. But to reject Christ is to accept hell. So, so we're, we're, we're living in this world today where, where we are basically, we're living in the day of the prophecy of Jonah. We're in the day where, where sin is pointed out. Instructions are given. Repentance is offered. Salvation is present. And, and salvation is real. What will you do with it? That was in the day of Jonah. That there, was, there was an opportunity. And what we saw is, is for the difference from Jonah to Nahum is if you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed. We saw that offer in Jonah. If you don't repent in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So we saw the side of those who repented in Jonah. They repented and turned back. But, but here we're going to see what happens to the ones that don't, the ones that are considered God's enemy. Yes, God is kind. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is love. His word says it. Yes, God, God is full of grace and, and compassion. And yes, but, but God is 
holy. And God will deal with unrighteousness. God cannot tolerate, will not tolerate sin. The, the Lord is slow to anger and in great power. His love is as strong as his power. His mercy is as strong as his vengeance. But make no mistakes about it. Vengeance will come. A lot of people look at it as a delay. Well, if it were a delay, it's not because of incompetence. It, it's, it's not because of slothfulness. It's because of long-suffering. But, but the reality is it's not delays at all. It's opportunities. It's opportunities to repent. It's opportunities. It's not delaying. God's, God's not, not putting off judgment. He's creating more and more opportunities. So when you stand before the judgment seat, when you stand at the great white throne, you know you were given every opportunity. And, and, and you basically spit in the face of God. It's opportunities for sinners to get right. Nahum says, Time's up. Nineveh will be destroyed. The Lord will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are, are, are dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. He drieth up the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, the, the flower of, of Lebanon, languisheth. The mountains quake at him. The hills melt. The earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Verse number seven said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And, and he knoweth them that trust him. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof. And darkness shall pursue his enemies. Verse number eight, an utter end of the place thereof. I said it last week, Nineveh was destroyed in such a way that, that for centuries they didn't even know the location of the city. It, it was completely erased from the top side of the earth. And we, we looked briefly last week and <laughs> I kind of got sidetracked and never really stayed with it. But we looked at the fact that, that in Nehemiah, when the walls were burned, there was a trace, there was evidence. God punished his children for, for idol worship, God punished his children for serving false God. And in the punishment, the walls were burned down and the gates were destroyed with fire. But there was a remnant of people. There was a remnant of the walls, a remnant of the city. But, but when, when it comes to Nineveh, when it comes to the difference between punishment and vengeance, there's nothing left. God absolutely annihilated it in the difference between the two. That, that's the kind of fate that awaits those who, who spit in the face of God and reject the free gift of God. God's mercy only goes so far. There is an end. There is a time when, when enough is enough. And, and that, that, that's what happens with Nineveh, the, the, people, the people have completely rejected God, turned everything back. 
Nahum pronounces the fall of Nineveh. This, this isn't just great news to the Jews. This is, we talked about it last week. This, this is to all the world, man. This is to everybody around. For two and a half centuries, the Assyrian rulers are connected to history. You don't just have to study the word of God to, if you want to find out about the Assyrians and the Assyrian Empire and their nastiness. Study history. Look at history and look at the things that are there. And you see their nastiness and their, their brutality. And you study all through their history for two and a half centuries. This is a brutal people. This is, this is some nasty folks. Now, God's patience in all of it is clearly on display. Nahum does show us that there is an end to God's mercy. There is a time when judgment will be pronounced. There is a time when vengeance will be brought forth. But, but, but God's patience is on display. See, the thing is, God moves so slowly that a lot of people come to the conclusion that, well, either there is no God or God doesn't care about what I'm doing. And they think they're getting away with their sin. See, because God is so methodical and so long-suffering and a God of so many chances and so many opportunities. And he's so loving and merciful that people misinterpret that kindness to the, to the extent that some is like, well, then God must not be bothered by my sin. There is no such thing as getting away with sin. It will be paid for, period. Now, for those who have trusted Jesus Christ, you have a stamp on your debit sheet that says paid in full. Jesus Christ suffered anguish, brutality. He paid for mine. He paid for yours. And, and it is stamped. Paid in full. I didn't pay a dime. He paid it for us. He paid for every sin for everybody out there. But for those who say, keep your gift, I don't want it. Keep your son, I'm not interested. Fine. But you will pay for it yourself. And it's going to be brutal. Beyond imagination. So we see in Nineveh that there's a time when the long-suffering of God ends. See, the problem with, with people is our way of measuring things is in hours and days and maybe even weeks. I mean, if God has an answer thing in weeks, I mean, it's like, oh, God's forsaken me. He don't even hear me anymore. He's cast me out. But, but God does things in years and, and, and decades and, and centuries. God does things over time. Time's nothing big to God. God, God allows time to, to work things, and he allows people to work within time. So, so God has a different way of, of doing things. And, and, and wicked people and, and wicked nations, they, they misinterpret God's patience. They, they misinterpret God's mercy. They, they see God's silence toward their sin as an outlet to just keep on with their sin. But, but we see that the warning was given by Jonah. That's a warning given to all the world. Judgment is coming. Jesus Christ is coming to get the redeemed, to take them with him. But after that comes the seven-year tribulation, followed by the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, followed by the great white throne of 
judgment. And all who are against God will be cast with death and hell into the lake of fire where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a world out there that needs to understand hell is real. Punishment is real. But mercy is, is just as real. Grace and forgiveness is just as real. It doesn't make us perfect. It just makes us forgiven. In the meantime, we have a job to do. Our job is nothing like the vision here of Nahum. The vision of Nahum, the, the prophecy of Nahum, decision is final. Answer is concluded. It's over and done. Nahum says, Nineveh, done, over, erased, removed, annihilated. He offers, he offers no plan. Thank God that's not our job. Thank God that's not what we have to offer to the world. We offer what Jonah offered. Here's your chance. Here's forgiveness. Repent. There is an or else. But, but the repent is so much better. Our, our job is to just sound the alarm. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The two men there in white apparel, you men of Galilee, why stand you gaze up into the heaven? This same Jesus which you've seen taking it before you, shall so come in like manner. That assures us that Jesus is coming back. Why is he coming back? He told us, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. So why did he go? To prepare a place. Why is he coming back? To get those who have trusted him. There, there is a, a reason Jesus is coming. Love is coming. Mercy is coming. Grace is coming. Compassion is coming. But only for those who are the prepared. Judgment is coming for the ones that aren't. That's our story. That, that's, our, that, that's our method. That's our prophecy. That, that's what we're to preach. That's the story that we are to tell. We should rejoice that we are given such a great opportunity to tell such a great story. We, we should be re rejoicing that we can use our lives wisely to perform the, the task that we've been given and to tell others the same story that somebody told me. Somebody had to tell us. Somebody had to tell us about Jesus. Somebody had to tell us about the blood. Somebody had to tell us about forgiveness. Somebody had to tell us about hell. Somebody had to tell us about punishment. And somebody had to offer the gift of God. Somebody had to tell us there's a free gift named Jesus Christ. Somebody told us, and we're supposed to tell somebody else what somebody told us. We, we ought to feel blessed beyond measure that we get to be called children of God, redeemed of the Lamb, and that we get an opportunity to tell somebody that is on their way to hell about Jesus and, and can see them saved out of hell into heaven. We ought to be ecstatic that we have such an incredible opportunity. It shouldn't be a chore for us to live our lives pleasing to God after all that he's done for us. We ought to be excited to get to try to live our life filled with the Holy Spirit so that somebody can see Christ in us, so that somebody can be pulled out of the fire. 
We, we get to tell people how, how to be saved, how, how to be saved from death, how to be saved from, from hell, how to be saved from, from torment, from God's wrath and, and God's vengeance. Verse number eight, he says, with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof and darkness shall pursue his enemies. The river that was the protection around their walls that made it almost seem impossible that anybody could ever overthrow Nahum is the same river that God used to wash it all downstream and destroy it. What they thought was their protection was as long as God allowed it. But it's the same thing. There's nothing that God can't use to get to you in your life either way. If you're in sin, there's nothing that God can't use to get to you. Punish, spank, scold, but if you're in trouble, if you're struggling, if you're in a valley, if you're going through storms, you're going through situations, there's nothing that God can't use to pick you up. There's nothing that God can't use to bless you. There's nothing that God can't use to, to, to pour out blessings upon us. And we see how God used it there. Verse 9, he says, what do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. See, God's patience was done. It's not coming a second time. You won't be back. This isn't my children. This isn't Israel. This isn't going to be a scolding and a burning of the walls and a rebuilding. This is it. This is done. There's not going to be a second time. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to, to my enemies. Now, you know, looking at God's patience, remember in Jonah when God was dealing with Jonah and he said, should I not spare the 120,000 children? You know, the ones that can't even think of their own. Should, should I not spare the innocent? Should I not spare the cattle? Well, these children are grown up now. And they've chosen to run from God. They've chosen to serve idols and other gods. They've chosen to take those cattle and sacrifice them on false altars to, to false God. And, and God says, I'm done with it. The same children that he spared in the days of Jonah are, are the ones now who are going out and, and God's listening to the cries of thousands of men, women, and children as the Assyrians are brutally torturing and murdering and killing them, taking them out. And, and God looks down on their wickedness for all this time. And finally, God said, it's enough. It's enough. There, there, there's no more chances. I will utterly destroy this nation in this city. Do we understand the wrath of God? See. That's what we're saved from. That, that, that's what the blood of Jesus did for us. The, the blood of Jesus just, just remove our sins. And give us a home in this amazing place. Of the streets of gold and the crystal sea. And, and in the presence of God. And, and where it's all light and there is no darkness. But, but it saved us from where there is darkness and there is no light. It saved us from all the torment, all the torture, and all of the vengeance of God. Nahum shows us that the reason for their destruction is their attitude towards God. We'll see in a minute their idols and the temples and the things is there that Sennacherib has. But that their attitude toward God is what God's so angry about. It's not just their brutality and mean and treating other people. It, it, it is their, their, their negative attitude towards the Lord himself. He said, what do you imagine against the Lord? He puts it in the form of a question. 
See, God spared Nineveh once that we looked at, but there's not going to be another one. They've mocked God. They, they've served the, these idols, and God says, I will make an utter end. Verse 10 says, for while they be folding together as thorns, and while they're drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as, as stubble, fully dry. Now, you think about a bramble bush, you think about thorns, and, you know, that's some bad stuff to get around. You know, you get in a, a heavy bunch of thorns, it can be painful to everybody around. But, but he says fully dry. You, you take a, 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 a thicket of briars fully dry, it don't take but a match to get it going. And it's very susceptible to fire. And, and that, that's, how, that's how he likens it. Nahum says they're acting as drunkards and, and as fools. They were pushing their propaganda into Jerusalem. They, they were sending word in against Hezekiah and his children, the children of God, God's children inside. And they were saying, hey, why are you listening to Hezekiah? He's told you your God's going to save you. Are you stupid? Do you not see what we've done to the nations around you? They trusted in their gods. They said their gods would save them, but we've put them on sticks. We've impelled them. We've murdered them. We've, done, we've had our way with them. You're listening to Hezekiah. He's telling you your God's going to, yo, his God's nothing. We're the Assyrians. We're the bad. Do you see their attitude towards God? They, they mock God with everything there, and they, and they put that out. They're like, why? Would you trust Hezekiah? Those cities' gods couldn't protect them, and your God can't protect you. That was the final straw. God said, let me just show you what we can and can't do. Let, 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 me, let me just show you. See, the, the Assyrians, they, they've become completely cold to the one true and living God. Sennacherib, as I said, he, he's built these shrines, these temples. He's got all of his false gods in, inside there. And, and that's what he worships. And the people are worshiping him because of his power. Number one, they kind of have to anyway or have them all killed. But they're worshiping him because of his power and they want to be killed. And so, and as a result, they're worshiping all of his, his false gods as well. But verse 11 and 12 says, there's one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord. A wicked counselor. He's referred to, to Reb Shekha. He is the, I guess you'd say the propaganda specialist here for, for this army. He's the one that's putting this, this propaganda, this information out. He's the one that's making the threats into Jerusalem and trying to cause the people to fear and to turn away from God. But he said, thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. See, God says there may be a lot of them, they're consumed in their arrogance. They don't think they can be overthrown. They, they are boasting of their own abilities. But they're about to be cut down. And he makes a promise to the Jewish people. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. You see the difference in punishment? I've chastised you. I've spanked you out of necessity. But I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm fixing to get rid of the Assyrian army. I'm fixing to rescue you. I'm fixing to show you my greatness. And, and then we, we looked at last week, kind of the difference. But, but what we see is that, that God chastised his children. But, but for the enemy, there is a complete annihilation. It says in verse number 13, For now will I break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bonds in sunder. Miss Frieda, do you have a minute to pull up 2 Kings chapter 19? 
I don't have time to give you all a chance to turn there. She put it up. I, I want to show you. This is this story in 2 Kings. This is the recording of this event. And, and the Assyrian armies are in camp. And, and I know I'm about done, so we'll have to cover it next week. But, but they, they've got a siege against Jerusalem. No food can get in. There's a famine. That's what they're counting on. But here's the story of this in 2 Kings chapter 19. It's recorded, verse number 31, Out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And they that escape out of the mount, out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. The Assyrian army has Jerusalem surrounded. There's no supplies can come in. No food can come in. And he's telling them, we're coming in to destroy you. Your God can't protect you. Look at who we are. We're the Assyrians. And here's the threat. And God says, he's not coming in there. You just trust me. See, there's always a chance. There's always a time in our life. We just got to decide who we're going to believe. In every storm, in every trial, in every situation, in every disaster, in every struggle, in everything that we go through in life. And we go through some stuff in life. Anybody say amen. And in everything we go through in life, we just got to decide who you're going to trust. Who you're going to believe. Well, God says right here, he's not coming in here. Verse number 33 says, by the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake. This ain't for you. I'm doing this. I, I've, already, I've already chastised you, but now I'm going to show my, my grace. I, I'm doing it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians and hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So, so check this out. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. He went back the same way he came. He returned the same just like God said, well, now, now here's the part, and I sure ain't nowhere near. I'm about halfway through with all the notes I got and what I wanted to do. But we're, go we're going to leave off of this. For God to protect this city and destroy them for all that happens right here, this is not a spur-of-the-moment decision. We'll look at it next week. Isaiah prophesied on it. Isaiah prophesied exactly what 2 Kings records. It told exactly how it was going to happen. This isn't, listen, God's answer is never a reaction to the situation. Somebody needs to write that down. God's answer is never a reaction to the situation. God already knew. God already knew the problem. God already knew the storm. God already knew the situation. God allowed it. Not so that he could see what we do. We already knew so that we see what we do. So that we decide who to trust. So that we decide who to listen to. God already knows what choice a man's going to make. But he still gives him the choice to make it. God, God, God already knows who's going to hell. That's what predetermined is. That's what predestination is. God didn't predestine somebody to go to hell. God didn't born, get, put somebody in birth and say, you're born to go to hell. It's not God's will that any should perish. That's not predestination. Well, he's born to go to heaven. He's born to go to hell. He's born to go to heaven. He's born to go to hell. 
everybody's born in sin. And everybody is a whosoever. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here's the deal. God's already in the future. So he already knows who's in heaven and who's in hell. So he already knows what choice they made. But it doesn't change the fact that they made the choice. If God didn't already know who was in heaven and who was in hell, then how did he write Revelation for me? How did he write the future if he don't already know the future? He wrote it because he knows. He hadn't just been there. He is there. God, God, God is infinite in all things. He is omnipresent. He's not just all places. He's all times. There are no boundaries to God. And that's our God. And it's the same God that can protect us from everything and bless us with everything. And it's the same God who's going to bring wrath. Well, Lord willing, I'm going to pick back up with that at 2 Kings. We'll look at that because I want to look at the prophecy of the, of the fulfillment of it. And Lord willing, we'll pick back up here next week. Now, Father, thank you so much. God, thank you for this book, God. Thank you. Thank you for what it teaches us, what it shows us. Thank you, God, that, that even when in Nahum, even in showing us your wrath, it is your mercy that's focused on. It is your grace and your abundance and all the, the chances and opportunities, God, for all these years, God. And even here, you're doing something to teach your people, to, to, to bless your people, to, to strengthen your people. Even in the midst of all this, God, we see your grace at work, Father. Thank you for being merciful to us, God graceful to us thank you for loving us in spite of us we love you lord we thank you and we praise you we ask you to make us usable vessels in jesus name we pray amen